What would your life be like if you woke up each morning with new vitality, feeling better than you have in years, and you noticed a difference in your sleeping patterns, blood sugar levels, and had a sense of well-being overall? There's something that is changing thousands of people's lives, and you could be one of them. It's called Heart and Body Extract. Sharon Harris, co-creator of Heart and Body Extract, talks about the positive effects of Heart and Body Extract. What happens with the formula Heart and Body Extract is it's giving the body the necessary vitamins, minerals, amino acids, enzymes, and phytonutrients so, so the body will heal itself. And yes, the body does have the ability to balance blood pressure, balance cholesterol, clean and unclog the arteries. It can also work on uh, balancing the circulation for diabetics. So the body is an amazing thing. It simply needs some help so it has the tools to heal itself. Heart and Body Extract gets results. To order your two-month supply, call now, toll-free at 866-295-5305. Order online at hbextract.com. In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com. Listen, do you hear that sound? It started low, but it's getting progressively louder. Into a crescendo, even louder. Irresistible ending in an ear-splitting blast of mass disruption. That's the sound of America's economic and political systems crashing to the ground. But we have a plan. We will be ready to restore political sanity. We will be ready to answer the call of productive America. We will restore America's industrial base and put America back to work. We will shut down political correctness and restore decency and positive media to America. We will save our constitution, our traditional way of life, our customs, and religion. We will restore sound money and crush the debt-based system of monetary slavery. And we will end America's foreign misadventures. We are the American Freedom Party, and we have a plan. Learn more about us, theamericanfreedomparty.us. You're listening to Resolution Radio. Radio. ResolutionRDO.com. Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. This week, I return to the theme of white psychology under Jewish tyranny. Just as men who are henpecked or abused by unworthy wives, and women who are abused or neglected by unworthy husbands, will come up with internal coping strategies that make the pain or shame feel less intense, but do nothing to solve the problem, so also white people have engaged in dysfunctional coping behaviors on a mass scale. In the previous two installments of this educational series, we've discussed the mental trap of legalism, the belief that there is some technicality in the law, real or in many cases imagined, that will free us from the iron heel of the Washington regime, usually allied with the idea that if we flourish said technicality, in front of a system judge or policeman, we will be magically victorious and the quote-unquote true law will prevail. And we've discussed the mental trap of asking permission to be free of those who are literally doing everything they can 
to kill you. The idea that despite the massive evidence to the contrary, our powerful enemies can be convinced to play by the pretend rules, rule of law, democracy, just being nice to everyone, etc., that they hope will make us acquiesce in our own dispossession and genocide. Today, we'll start to examine mainline Christianity in the same light. Mainline Christianity, strongly established among white people, though an alien religion, deserves more than one program, as does the Christian identity variant, which attempts to remake Christianity into a militantly pro-Aryan faith. But today, we'll simply establish the basic bedrock of our viewpoint on the subject. Much more will be coming in this series. Most of today's program will be an extract from what Dr. William Pierce wrote on the topic in the National Alliance Membership Handbook, in his Opposed Ideologies section, his most mature and comprehensive text on the subject, which has never before appeared in audio form. Quote, Christianity by Dr. William L. Pierce The National Alliance is not a religious organization in the ordinary sense of the term. It does, however, have to concern itself with religious matters because religions influence the behavior of people, society, and governments. The doctrines of various religious groups, Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, et al., deal with temporal as well as spiritual matters, and therefore often conflict with National Alliance doctrine. Christian doctrines are of much greater concern to the National Alliance than the doctrines of other large religious groups, because Christianity is the most influential religion in the United States, Europe, and the rest of the white world. Most members of the National Alliance come from families which are, or a generation ago were, at least nominally Christian and very few come from families which practice or practiced Islam, Buddhism, or other religions. Furthermore, the history of our race for the last thousand years has been inextricably bound up with Christianity. The National Alliance really cannot avoid taking positions regarding Christian beliefs and practices, despite the complications this causes in our work. The immediate and inevitable fact which forces us to come to grips with Christianity is that the mainstream Christian churches are all, without exception, preaching a doctrine of white racial extinction. They preach racial egalitarianism and racial mixing. They preach non-resistance to the takeover of our society by non-whites. It was the Christian churches more than any other institution which paralyzed the will of white South Africans to survive. It is the Christian establishment in the United States, 
which is preeminent in sapping the will of white Americans to resist being submerged in the non-white tide sweeping across the land. Most Christian authorities collaborate openly with the Jews, despite the contempt and abuse they receive in return, and the rest at least follow Jewish policies on the all-important matter of race. The occasional anomaly, a Catholic bishop in Poland speaking out angrily against Jewish arrogance, a few Protestant groups in the United States expressing sympathy for oppressed Palestinians, does not invalidate the rule. We are obliged, therefore, to oppose the Christian churches and to speak out against their doctrines. But we do not, as some groups have done, accuse the Christian leaders of being false Christians. We do not say, we are the real Christians because we stand for the values which the mainstream churches stood for a century ago, before they were subverted. We do not reach for our Bibles and point to verses which seem to be in accord with the policies of the National Alliance and contrary to the present policies of the Christian churches. A diligent Bible scholar can find in the Judeo-Christian scriptures support for or ammunition against virtually any policy whatsoever. Beyond the immediate conflict between us and the Christian churches on racial matters, there is a long-standing and quite fundamental ideological problem with Christianity. It is not an Aryan religion. Like Judaism and Islam, it is Semitic in origin, and all its centuries of partial adaptation to Aryan ways have not changed its basic flavor. It was carried by a Jew, Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul, from the Levant to the Greco-Roman world. Its doctrines that the meek shall inherit the earth and that the last shall be first found fertile soil among the populous slave class in Rome. Centuries later, as Rome was succumbing to an internal rot in which Christianity played no small part, legions of Roman conscripts imposed the imported religion on the Celtic and Germanic tribes to the north. Eventually, Christianity became a unifying factor for Europe, and in the name of Jesus, Europeans resisted the onslaught of Islamic Moors and Turks and expelled the quote-unquote Christ-killing Jews from one country after another. But the religion retained its alien mindset no matter how much some aspects of it were Europeanized. Its otherworldliness is fundamentally out of tune with the Aryan quest for knowledge and for progress. Its universalism conflicts directly with Aryan striving for beauty and strength. Its delineation of the roles of man and God 
offend the Aryan sense of honor and self-sufficiency. Finally, Christianity, like the other Semitic religions, is irredeemably primitive. Its deity is thoroughly anthropomorphic, and its miracles, raising the dead, walking on water, curing the lame and the blind with a word and a touch, are the crassest superstition. We may have fond memories of the time before the Second World War when pretty little girls in white dresses attended all-white Sunday schools, and Christianity seemed a bulwark of family values and a foe to degeneracy and indiscipline. We may cherish the tales of medieval valor when Christian knights fought for God and King, if we can overlook the Christian Church's bloodthirsty intolerance, which stifled science and philosophy for centuries and sent tens of thousands of Europeans to the stake for heresy or witchcraft. We may even find Christian ethics congenial if we follow the standard Christian practice of interpreting many of its precepts, such as the one about turning the other cheek, in such a way that they do not interfere with our task. But we should remember that nothing essential in Christian ethics is specifically Christian. Any successful society must have rules of social conduct. Lying and stealing were shunned in every Aryan society long before Christianity appeared. Our pagan ancestors did not need Christian missionaries to tell them how to behave or to explain honor and decency to them. Quite to the contrary. Historians may argue the pros and cons of Christianity's role in our race's past, whether or not the unity it provided during a period of European consolidation outweighed the loss of good genes it caused in the Crusades and the bloody religious wars of the Middle Ages and through the Church's policy of priestly celibacy whether the splendid Gothic cathedrals which rose in Europe during four centuries and the magnificent religious music of the 18th century were essentially Christian or essentially Aryan in inspiration, whether Christianity stand against the evils of self-indulgence, against gluttony and drunkenness and greed, was worth its shackling of the human mind in superstition, or not. One thing already is clear, however. Christianity is not a religion that we can wish on future generations of our race. We need ethics. We need values and standards. We need a worldview. And if one wants to call all of these things together a religion, then we need a religion. One might choose instead, however, to call them a philosophy of life.
whatever we call it, it must come from our own race soul. It must be an expression of the innate Aryan nature, and it must be conducive to our mission of racial progress. Christianity, as the word is commonly understood, meets neither of these criteria. The fact is that completely aside from the racial question, no person who wholeheartedly believes Christian doctrine can share our values and goals. Because Christian doctrine holds that this world is of little importance, being only a proving ground for the spiritual world which one enters after death. Christian doctrine also holds that the condition of this world is not man's responsibility, because an omnipotent and omniscient deity alone has that responsibility. Although some Christians do believe Christian doctrine wholeheartedly, however, most do not. Most instinctively feel what we explicitly believe, even if they have repressed those feelings in an effort to be good Christians. Because of this, many nominal Christians even those affiliated with mainstream churches, can, under the right circumstances, be persuaded to work for the interests of their race. Other nominal Christians, especially those who stand apart from any of the mainstream churches, have interpreted Christian doctrine in such an idiosyncratic way that the contradictions between their beliefs and ours have been minimized. For these reasons, we want to avoid conflict with Christians to the extent that we can. We don't want to give unnecessary offense, even when we speak out against the doctrines of their churches. We don't want to ridicule their beliefs, which in some cases are sincerely held. Some of these people later will reject Christianity's racial doctrines. Some will reject Christianity altogether. We want to help them in their quest for truth when we can, and we want to keep the door open to them. Members who want to study the subject of Christianity and its relationship to our task in depth should read Which Way Western Man by our late member, William Simpson. The book's initial chapters describe the spiritual odyssey of a man of exceptional spiritual sensitivity who was far more intensely a Christian than nearly any Christian living today and who eventually understood the racially destructive nature of Christianity and rejected it. Close quote. One of the most important statements that William Pierce made on this subject was 1982's On Christianity, published in the National Alliance Bulletin and now available on nationalvanguard.org, in which he says, quote, 
No honest, conscientious Alliance member can maintain his membership in the Alliance and also in an organization which is fundamentally opposed to the goals and principles of the Alliance. A former member, who belongs to the moral majority, acted correctly in resigning from the Alliance, and the same applies to others. Any Alliance member who is also a member of a church or other Christian organization which supports racial mixing or Zionism should decide now where he stands, and he should then resign, either from his church or from the Alliance. In fact, the great majority of Alliance members who originally had some Christian church affiliation have already made their decisions and left the churches. If, despite everything above, there are Alliance members or prospective Alliance members who still consider themselves Christians, then it must be in the sense that they value the specifically white elements of Christianity which have been added since its origins, the great art, the great music, and the great architecture produced by white men during the centuries in which the Christian churches ruled Europe, and that they also share the white spiritual feelings which have been eloquently expressed by many men and women who were Christians and who applied the adjective Christian to feelings which, in fact, came from deep within the white race soul and existed long before the advent of the Christian church. Such Christians we can call our comrades and be proud to have in our ranks. Close quote. Be sure to tune in again for the continuation and elaboration of this important subject as we continue to explore white psychology under Jewish tyranny, right here on American Dissident Voices. You're listening to Resolution 
Radio, radio, radio. ResolutionRDO.com My brothers, my sisters, I bring you a message of solidarity, a call to action, and a demand for adherence to duty of an Aryan resurgence and ultimately total Aryan victory. We have broken the chains of Jewish thought. We know not the meaning of the word mine, it is ours. Our race, the totality of our people. Ten hearts, one beat. One hundred hearts, one beat. Ten thousand hearts, one beat. We are born to fight and to die and to continue the flow. The flow of our people. Onward we will go, onward to the stars, high above the mud, the mud of yellow, black and brown. So kinsman, duty calls. The future is now. If months from now you have not yet fully committed yourself to the Alliance, then you have an effect not only betrayed your race, you have betrayed yourself. So stand up like men and drive the enemy into the sea. Stand up like men and swear a sacred oath upon the green graves of our sires that you will reclaim what our forefathers discovered, explored, conquered, settled, built, and died for. Stand up like men and reclaim our soil. Kinsmen, arise. Look towards the stars and proclaim our destiny. Defeat never, victory forever. Hill is proud to announce the release of a new translation, Leon de Grel in Exile, by Jose Luis Jerez Reisco. Readers of The Burning Souls will already be familiar with de Grel's life before and during the Second World War, his service on the Eastern Front, and his involuntary post-war exile in Franco, Spain. This new work tells the story of his life in exile in detail, replete with first-hand accounts from Spanish nationalists and friends of de Grel. During his time in Spain, de Grel did not wallow in sadness. Despite the atrocities inflicted upon him and his family by the victorious Allied powers, he stayed remarkably active in European nationalist politics and left a lasting impression on both his personal friends and those from around the European world who took inspiration from his tenacious idealism. De Grel's enduring legacy in Spain is well-deserved. Such a legacy also deserves to be spread to both sides of the Atlantic and beyond. Antelope Hill is proud to be the first to bring this unparalleled biography to the English reader, Get Leon DeGrell in exile today at antelopehillpublishing.com.
Mike.